everybody. Welcome to episode 46 of the Book Cougars, Two Middle-Aged Women on the Hunt for a Good Read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. And we are recording from the Mystic Noack Library. In Mystic, Connecticut. Yeah, and it's a beautiful library. We just took a quick tour of it before we sat down to record. Um, and we're recording. I wanted to do a little shout out to Laura, Chris's wife, who has let us borrow her microphone since the start of the Book Cougars, which we're going on a year and a half, um, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and Laura uses her microphone. Yes. <laughs> and so finally, with um, some very generous donations from Sally and Mary, Chris and I are now proud owners of our own microphone. We have our very own. It's called a blue snowball. Yes. <laughs> but it's black. It's black. We have a black one. We have a black ball. We have a black ball. I was headed, Chris was coming to pick me up, and I said, I have the black ball in hand. <laughs> And I, had, I didn't realize what I had said, which is actually quite cougar-like, I guess. But um, And she was like, ew, gross. But anyway. Yeah, I don't know. Like, Laura's ball is blue. And so, like, we went from a blue ball to a black ball, which made me kind of feel like, so, like, is that gangrenous or what? Okay. 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 Now we're going to bad places. Sorry, everybody. Anyway. Okay. We're recording with our new microphone. So thank you, Laura, to all of the uh, months spent using your ball. <laughs> And also, I wanted to just mention that, um, remind people that it's National Poetry Month. Yes. And we've had some wonderful poems from friends of ours, friends and authors, mm-hmm. other booktubers, other bloggers. Other bloggers yeah. contributing their poems, a, a poem that means something to them in their life. And it's just been a joy to see people reading these poems that mean something to them. Yeah, it's really yeah. wonderful. And so you can go to our booktube channel to see that. The link to that is in the show notes. Yes. But I think also if you just Google Book Cougars YouTube. Yeah, Book Cougars, up. yeah. You so. should, it should come up that way. Or just yeah. go to YouTube and look for Book Cougars podcast. Yeah. And see the wonderful videos. And if you do watch them, please like them too, just so people know Yeah. that you like their poem, you yeah. like their reading, whatever. Yeah. So, you know, the I don't mean to say whatever. I just no. mean like, yeah. You know, no. It's a nice thing to it do. It wasn't a teenage whatever. Right. It was like a, yeah. <laughs> whatever you want to do. But it's nice. It's always, it is, that's yes. the way that we show, that's the way we clap now. Exactly. Being, yes. Give them know. a clap. Give them right. a like. And and thank you to everybody who has participated. Yes. Because I know everybody's busy. A lot of people are camera shy. And it takes some courage, I think, to, to put yourself out there in that way. So thank you, everybody. Yeah, we appreciate it. So what are you currently reading, Chris? Well, I am currently reading... A mystery novel, another one uh, that has been nominated for an award. It is Dark Chapter, a novel uh, by Winnie M. Lee. L.I. is the last name. And this is a book, it's up for an Edgar Award in the first novel category. And I'm just about halfway through it. I'm really enjoying it. Um, Got a library copy that is really well used. Yeah, so a lot say. of people have, yeah. have uh, read this one. It still has the new sticker on it, but it's quite um, quite well read. And it's I don't want to say too much about it at this point because I am in the middle of reading it. It's a really fast paced read. It's about a young woman who is hiking uh, near Belfast, Ireland, and she's raped. And the story is about the boy man who raped her and her mm. before during and after and um so yeah wow. it's it's a really it's a really different read let's put it that way 
Okay. Yeah. So more to come on that one. More to come on that. Yep. I'm reading The Dispossessed by Ursula K. Le Guin. Oh, how's that going? This is for my book club group, which is meeting on Sunday. It's currently Thursday. <laughs> I started it last Friday, and I'm on page 15. Oh, boy. <laughs> and I've read another book in between. So it's not going very well. Okay. So I'm either going to dig really deep into it this weekend, or I'm going to give up. Could you try the audio version? Or? I, Yeah. I looked, it's not available through the library. Um, okay. I just started all of this too late. And I think, I think the problem is she's just too smart of a writer for me. Mm. And it's that whole sci-fi thing. And I feel like you have to really be in a space where you can really pay attention. And mm-hmm. I've got some family stuff going on and I've just been really busy and really tired. So, yeah. um, so you'll find out next episode if I finished it or not. Okay. I'm looking forward to the conversation regardless, because I think it's probably a book that if people read it, there's a lot to talk about. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, I've done that with book clubs in the past where I didn't get to read the book or I just didn't like the book, so I didn't read it. And then sitting in on the conversation was really interesting because sometimes it made me want to read the book and right. other times not. But I feel like, okay, good. I know what that book is about. Right. I have to admit, I went out and read a couple reviews Mm -hmm. because I was like, I just don't know if I can do this. And I'm really kind of disappointed in myself because I really want to read a Le Guin. Mm -hmm. You know, she's one of those writers that's been on my radar for a really long time and people wax poetic about her. And she I think she's one of those writers like Atwood that she has a lot to say, Mm -hmm. you know, so I I would like to do it. I'm just not sure this is going to be the one. So we'll see. And I agree with you. I think. After the discussion, because I know some of the other people in my group have read her other works, and so they might say, hey, this probably isn't the best place to start, or stick with it, you know, so so more to come on that one. All right. Yeah. Excellent. I'm also reading still the Chicago Poems of Carl Sandburg, and since, since it is National Poetry Month, if you don't mind, I thought I'd just read the one that I read this morning. I would love it. Um, I have a couple poems marked here with little flag notes uh he touches on a lot of social issues of the time Uh, this collection came out i think it was 1906 1916 excuse me um and so for those of you who think people having issues with monuments is a new thing i thought i would read this one from this morning Mm -hmm. ready to kill 10 minutes now i have been looking at this I have gone by here before and wondered about it. This is a bronze memorial of a famous general, riding horseback with a flag and a sword and a revolver on him. I want to smash the whole thing into a pile of junk to be hauled away to the scrapyard. I put it straight to you. After the farmer, the miner, the shopman, the factory hand, the fireman, and the teamster have all been remembered with bronze memorials, shaping them on the job of getting all of us something to eat and something to wear. When they stack a few silhouettes against the sky here in the park and show the real huskies that are doing the work of the world and feeding people instead of butchering them, then maybe I will stand here and look easy at this general of the army holding a flag in the air and riding like hell on horseback, ready to kill anybody that gets in his way, ready to run the blood and the slush of bowels of men all over the sweet new grass of the prairie. Wow, that packs a punch. (laughs) I read that this morning standing outside with the dogs, and I was just like, wow. Yeah, Yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, so he, I'm enjoying these poems. Like I said, they're not all created equally, 
and some don't resonate and others obviously still this one resonated with me yeah. big time wow and yeah. you're you're making your way through it looks like you're about halfway yeah and you're reading it just literally from the first page to the last yes okay. yeah i'm just going in order it has so there's what 183 pages i'm on page 61 now this will be my poem for tomorrow perfect so yeah nice thank you for sharing that absolutely that great. i'm also currently reading the art of nonconformity set your own rules live the life you want and change the world by chris Gillibo. and i really just started i think i'm just in the prologue okay. you know where he explains why he wrote the book and it's one of those kind of, I was in college and I wasn't sure why I was in college and, you know, I don't want to be someone who just goes to college and then goes to work and doesn't think about, you know, the impact of what I'm doing with my life and I don't necessarily want to live a normal life. I'm using air quotes when I say that. Yeah. So I'm really curious to see where it takes me because I'm interested in, and I think you and I both have kind of developed these careers where we are sort of making it up as we go but yes. <laughs> you know satisfied and sometimes unsatisfied and you know constantly asking ourselves the question you know what am I doing with my life and mm -hmm. is this what I want to be doing and I think I'm at a, a point right now you know a year out from graduating and what am I doing with my degree what do I want to be doing that sort of thing yeah. so I'm hoping this book gives me some some tools to make some decisions about my future so, but I'm not deep enough in to let you know yet. <laughs> okay, good. Stay tuned. Yes, yeah. that's right. So what have right. you just read? What have I just read? I just finished a book called Tornado Weather by Deborah Kennedy. And that is another book that is nominated for First Novel Edgar Award. It take, I think I talked about this before. It's yeah. in Indiana. Um... I enjoyed the book, but I don't think it is a mystery novel. Ah. Really interesting. Um, and I just from the two books that I've read so far that have been nominated, well, I'm currently reading one of them, but um, these two that have been nominated in the first novel category, I have to say, whoever's on the committee for this award, they're really thinking broadly about mystery, mm -hmm. and I think trying to open up the genre maybe a little bit more. Because these are definitely not traditional mysteries. I'm kind of fascinated by it. I, I'm I'm hoping to read all five of the nominees. I don't know if I'm going to get there. I have the a third one at home. Uh, the title is Lola. That one's waiting for me. So we'll see. But Tornado Weather, if you like a novel that that does have... There's a mystery at the heart of the novel. And as I said in my review, that heartbeat gets overwhelmed by all the other big heartbeats in the town. There are so many characters. Um, but Kennedy is a really, I think, a wonderful writer. She reminded me of Stephen King and that she can write a sentence or two and give you this whole person's life and world. Mm, you know? I like that. So mm. and she's writing about characters for the most part who are in the kind of the have not side of town or the people who are not happy with their lives and struggling. She shows us everybody's struggle that starts um, from either their family of origin or choices that they've made or choices that other people have made. So it's really interesting. There are a lot of current social issues in the book. So if you like a book with a lot of characters and that jumping perspective, and it doesn't, it's not like it alternates from character to character. It is like every chapter is a different character for the most part, 
although you get some of other characters in each other's So they meet each chapters. other. Chapters, yeah. Okay. They all kind of are intertwined in mm-hmm. some way. So right. it was an interesting read, but I, I, I'll i be interested to see if it wins. Yeah. Who knows? Or if people say, this one didn't win because it wasn't a mystery. <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, if you have read that, that was uh, Tornado Weather by Deborah Kennedy. If you've read it and you think it's a mystery or not, let me know. I'd love to know. Yeah, email us at bookcougars at gmail.com or social media, Mm -hmm. whatever. Boy, that's going to be our word of this. Whatever. 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 (laughs) Well, I did finish a mystery. It was called Do Not Become Alarmed, a novel by Mail Malloy. This is the one I talked about on the previous episode where it's about uh, two families that the mothers are cousins and they go on a cruise together and they go off ship to do an adventure that goes awry and um, they had gone with another family that they met on the cruise so three sets of mothers and their children go on this adventure the six kids go missing (laughs) and you know i'll take your missing child (laughs) novel and i'll raise you five I cared about it while I was on the airplane where on home from California and I got about 60%. I was reading it on my e-reader and then the last 40% I was like, first of all, there was a horrendous rape scene and I have a really hard time with that. So if that's something that you have a hard time with, I would avoid this novel. And then it was just kind of like passed over a little bit in a very odd way which Mm -hmm. I thought was very unrealistic I think the second half to me was very unrealistic like the way the children behaved and this horrible thing was happening to children and I definitely have a soft spot for children but I kind of didn't care and that was bad and then I don't there's some there's a sex scene and I don't want to explain the sex scene not because it's graphic but because it would be a spoiler as to what's happened in the book. Okay. But it was so fucking unrealistic that I was like, okay, now I kind of want to throw the book across the room. But I was, you know, now at 85%. So okay. it was definitely a book that if I was someone who easily put books down, mm-hmm. I would have, but I'm not. Okay. So I have a little regret that I finished it. Boy, that was not a, a glowing <laughs> review, was it? Anyway, do not become alarmed. I was slightly alarmed as I read the book by Mail Malloy. <laughs> funny. I regret that I finished it. <laughs> That's my favorite. Uh, did you read All anything right. else? I have one other. That you I know, read. well, I read The Stranger in the Woods. Oh, right. I listened to it, actually, yeah. on audio, but we'll be talking about that one later. Yes. So take it away. Okay. I read, um, I put down The Dispossessed, and I picked up Goodbye Vitamin, a novel by Rachel Kong. Hmm. This is one that has a really sweet cover. It's like lemons, I think. I mean, I read it on my e-reader, but I've seen it in bookstores. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those that you see in the bookstore, and you kind of do a second take on it. And I've various friends have read it, and um, so I just felt like I needed a light read. And then on Ellen said, I just read this book, Goodbye Vitamin, in one day. And I was like, okay, now it's definitely moved up my TBR. So like Ellen, I read it very quickly. It's told um, in in kind of a short period of time. She's got the each entry dated, and it's not like diary entries, but it's like little vignettes. And what the story is about is this young woman whose dad is suffering from Alzheimer's. So she decides to quit her job and move home and live with her mom and dad to help her dad. 
um, through this challenging time, or her, both of her parents, I should say, through this challenging time. And her father had been a professor of history and um, for obvious reasons is slipping in his job because he has Alzheimer's, so he's been fired. But one of his assistants decides that they're going to create a faux class and a certain number of people have agreed to sign up as students, you know, not really signing mm-hmm. up, but are, um, appear. Okay. And they have to meet at various places because the head of the department who fired him, they didn't get approval for this or anything okay. like that. So I just thought that whole story arc was very sweet. Yeah. And um, there's... So he still thinks he's teaching He still it. thinks okay. he's teaching. I'm All sorry. Right. Yeah. yeah. I forgot the punchline of that part oh, of the story. No, yeah. Yeah. And... Um, you know, they have to jump through some hoops to meet at various places and not be discovered on campus and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And I thought that was really sweet. And he still has a lot of information to share, but he gets confused, mm-hmm. you know. And um, and so and then it also, the story weaves back and forth between her doing that with her father and then also just being at home and funny things that happen because, you know, as you suffer from Alzheimer's, you do odd things, you know, and her the reactions of her mother and then history that the two parents had and we all have as families mm-hmm. comes out in the book including these little italicized sections she has where it's pieces from a journal that her father wrote about her as a child oh wow which i thought were just so endearing and touching and funny mm-hmm. you know because it's little funny things that she did that you forget like i wish i had a journal of the goofy funny things my kids did yeah you know and i don't yeah because um, I'm a terrible mother. No. <laughs> so, um, and then she also, the other third, there's kind of these three pieces to it. The other thing she's weaving in and out is her own failed relationship. Mm-hmm. And so I thought it was brilliantly written, very short little vignettes, but they told a beautiful tale. Mm-hmm. It was a, a very easy book to get lost in, um, but also very poignant, I thought. So it's called mm-hmm. Goodbye Vitamin by Rachel Kong. Biblio Adventures. Biblio Adventures is yes. our next category. Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. And um, my son Jacob was in town for a minute <laughs> and last week, and he needed to get a haircut, and he found a barbershop he wanted to go to in Old Saybrook. I don't remember why, but we went on a great adventure. I love spending time in the car with him. And while he was getting his hair cut, I strolled down the street and went to Harbor Books oh, cool. in Old Saybrook. Have you ever been there? I have not. Yeah. I have not. It's a cute little store. It's very small, mm-hmm. and it's used and new, um, mostly used. Okay. But the, they had it very well organized. The only oh. thing that was funny is I walked in with a coffee with a lid, mm-hmm. but I could tell that the owner was very nervous about that. Okay. Yeah. So I felt kind of badly, but not bad enough to stop browsing. <laughs> so, and Jacob's haircuts take about 15 minutes. Okay. So yeah. I didn't have a lot of time, but, um, but it was a sweet little bookstore. That's I would cool. definitely go yeah. back. And spend I saw, I, I have lived in Connecticut for four years now. I used to work for a business that had a location in Old Saybrook. I was there all the time. I'm in Old Saybrook once a month and I have still, have not gone to that bookstore. What is my problem? So many bookstores, so little time. Yeah. So many books already owned. I don't know. I, I'm feeling like <laughs> bookworm guilt. Oh. There you go. So, I mean, it's a little tiny store, but mm-hmm. it would be a nice store to support. I mean, had I had more time, I'm sure I would have picked something up. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And it was, like I said, very well organized, which is always nice with a used bookstore, because sometimes that's my frustration. Like, yeah. they have piles of books on the floor, and you just kind of start to feel overwhelmed. Right. But this one was not that way yeah. at all. 
So that's cool. Yeah. I used to totally dig bookstores like that that would have books everywhere, and oh, really? and now I kind of feel like I get a little sad for the books because I think a lot of them are being damaged sometimes when there's mm. that much, and then and other times, yeah, I I want to be able to see and look. And... How nice of you to be thoughtful about the books in that way. I don't do that. I'm just like, this place is, I can't deal. There's too many books everywhere. It's all about me. <laughs> but then we went on a, we went on a joint jaunt together. We did. We went up to Plain, is it Plainfield? Plainfield, Mass. Plainfield, Massachusetts. Yeah. We went to an unlikely story bookstore, yeah. which is owned by Jeff Kinney of the Wimpy Kid Diary fame and his wife. I feel like I should know his wife's name because it's always like Jeff Kinney and his wife. Oh, really? I didn't even know. Does she have something to do with the books? I thought they both owned it. Oh, they do both own yeah. it. I, th- I no. thought you meant you should say that about the books. Okay. Oh, no, no I meant like that. Yeah. No. Well, you know, Anne Kingman in episode 45 talked about the story of it, and she said Jeff Kinney and his wife. Yeah. So I don't know that we... We could probably look online. Maybe her name is there. Yeah. And if it is, I'm going to put okay. it in the show notes. That'd be great, because yeah. Jeff Kinney's wife, we know that you're a real person, and you deserve to have right. your name And I'm sure you do loud. a lot of the heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. As all women do. <laughs> the bookstore was gorgeous. Oh, it's beautiful bookstore. Yeah. And I had like event space envy. Mm. It was, uh, the first floor is, a, there's a cafe and then all the books. Nicely organized in, in really cool categories that made sense. Yes. Let's say that. Lots of cute sideline things. So cute. Beautifully yeah. decorated with Harry Potter paraphernalia, like there are broomsticks, like the, you know, Quidditch broomsticks hanging from the ceiling. And as Anne mentioned in episode 45, it had been the location of an old general store. So they had some old general storage signage up, yeah, um, which is really great. And kind of some carts that look like they might have been and barrels from the old store mm-hmm. that they used for displays. That was really cool. Yeah, there. I took the pamphlet. There's a guy, an artisan that they work with who takes old industrial things and makes new dis- like retail display oh, cool. pieces out of it. Which is really cool. Uh, you know, the sidebar, Laura and I got hooked on a show from the UK called Money for Nothing with this woman, Sarah, who takes items and has them. She, so she goes to the dump or the tip, as they call it, and she selects three items that people are tossing to rehab them or oh, cool. convert them into something and give them a new life. And so she has some of the pieces that she's taken, she takes with them being a retail display piece in mind which oh, is cool. not something that I would think about because yeah. Laura and I are always like looking at junk and we're garbage pickers and stuff and thinking like what could you do with that and I always think about it as ending up in somebody's home as opposed to it being a retail display yeah, but it really I, in know. this case it really made the store beautiful yeah I really yeah, yeah it did they had like these big spools yep that they yep. made into book displays and yeah wonderful stuff and I also have to say that it wasn't like the store wasn't an ode to Jeff Kinney and Diary right. of a Wimpy Kid. Yeah. There were two really nice displays, so I'm sure you could get anything Diary of a Wimpy Kid that your heart desired. Yeah. But there was not a ton of space devoted to that. It's definitely a bookstore. Like, don't feel like you go to that bookstore and it's, yeah. you know, all YA or all kids either. They had plenty of adult books. Absolutely. So yeah. it was a, it was, there was something there for everyone. Yeah. It is legit. Good independent bookstore. Yeah. yeah. yeah beautiful. And then up on the second floor, they had this great event space where we saw Michael Finkel. Michael Finkel. Stranger um, in the Woods. Yes. 
the, the story of the last true hermit. And um, at the end of this episode, attached to the end of this episode, will be our interview with Michael Finkel. Yeah. So stick around for that. He's very interesting. Highly recommend you read the book. Yes. I loved it. Yeah. I did too, and I listened to it right. on audio. So it was also a good audio book um, to check out. But really fascinating. It was about this man, Chris Knight. Knight. Christopher his name, Knight. Christopher yeah. Knight. When he was 20 years old, just walked into the woods and decided to live on his own. Yeah. And controversially, controversially, is mm-hmm. that a word? Mm-hmm. Um, he he survived not by hunting and fishing, because that would take too much energy, but by stealing from others in seasonal cabins that were in the area. His neighbors, literally. Yeah. 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 So fascinating. And um, Mike talks a lot in the book about the tradition of hermits throughout history and why certain people have become hermits or attempted to become hermits, and and a lot about solitude mm-hmm. and the difference between solitude and isolation, which is something I'm passionate about. Right. It's a subject I've been interested in for a while. So really hit a lot of different points of interest for me personally. And me as well. Yeah. And I just thought it was brilliantly written. I mean, it was actually a page-turner mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. Because I wanted to see what happened mm-hmm. to Christopher Knight. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. And I uh, I wanted to ask him, and I forgot to ask, Mike, if... Because Chris was squatting on land that mm-hmm. somebody owned. He was on private land. Right. And I wondered if, in the legal arguments that came up, if anyone talked about trying to hold the owners of the land accountable oh. for not better monitoring, stewarding... Yeah, yeah, monitoring their land hmm. and allowing... That. I was because it know, was private property. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. And that's the thing too that he talked about. Um, the differences in how people conceptualize private property from Maine versus like Texas, where in Texas you could not just kind of casually walk around other people's land. It's very much more of a "this is my land, get the hell off of it." Whereas in Maine, there's been so much more openness about the land. Right, and, and a lot of people hike on private and hike property. Out, yeah, yeah. And, uh, So I don't mean to say all Texans are like that because I know they're not. And I know there's a lot of sharing of resources in every state. But it was an interesting point that one of the reasons Chris was able to survive for as long as he did, like, what, 38 years? 27. 27? Mm -hmm. um, Was, you know, that um, that sense of ease and connectedness. Right. Yeah. So, stay tuned. <laughs> but I loved his event because he showed up with the presentation. He had a slideshow. Yes. I love it PowerPoint. When, when authors can yeah. do that. So and he that even had cool. videos within his PowerPoint, which yeah. I thought was pretty sassy. Mm-hmm. And it was a fantastic space. And we got to sit with Ann Kingman, one I of know. our idols. Totally. It was a perfect night. It was perfect. I felt like totally like I was one of the cool kids, finally. <laughs> wearing your very cool Shakespeare shirt. I was. Yeah. It was like, I was on. And a blazer. You looked fantastic. God. <laughs> I get to be friends with Chris and oh, hang geez. out with her. I'm oh, the lucky geez. one. So, upcoming jaunts. We are here. Hey, wait. Oh, wait. Oh, no, you have I another had, one. I had one. Right. Yeah. Oh, we, the library is closing in 10 minutes, yeah, so, so this needs to be quick. Yeah. But I did go to an event um, that was moderated by John Valerie at the Book Club Bookstore in South Windsor, Connecticut. He hosted R.C. Goodwin, who's the author of Model Child. And I haven't read the book. I kind of started it, but I got to say the event killed it for me (laughs) because 
You would have died if you'd been there. You would have just spontaneously combusted. <laughs> because <laughs> R.C. Goodwin, I'm sure he's a wonderful man, but he read for like a half hour. Oh, no. He no, went no. like back yeah. and forth between reading and the notes he had that would kind of like, you know, transition into another part that he read. Oh, he my. read for a half hour and he lost a lot of people. Did anyone do like obvious, like, yeah, people were deep like, sighing and yeah. stuff. Oh. And so That's a I just long like time. authors, if you're listening, you can't do that to your audience. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, John luckily was there and he kind of turned it around and got people laughing and engaged okay. and everything. Um, but yeah, authors pay attention to your audience yeah. and I, I you know I think reading for 10 minutes is really hard. I do, too. I mean, I loved it when Min said, I'm going to read a piece that takes three minutes. So to me, it meant she'd already been thoughtful about practicing and reading and seeing how long something took. But she said, because I want you to like me. Right, yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah. I mean, I have turned the tables where I do like hearing a little bit of a book read in the author's voice, Mm -hmm. but I mean a little bit. A little bit, right. Yeah. Give me a couple paragraphs, like two pages maybe. This was just way too long. And so he read practically like the whole plot of the book is kind of out there. So there wasn't much motivation for me to want to pick up the book after that. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, but it was packed. He had a great turnout. Oh, that's good. Like there was... No space in that store. It was packed, which was a great thing. And yeah. Cindy, who's the owner, always does a great job of organizing everything and having good flow and stuff. But he had a great turnout. So That's kudos to Cindy at the bookstore and yeah. R.C. Goodwin for getting people out that day. And maybe someone will give him some feedback and his other you know, events will go better. Yeah. Yeah, this is, I think, maybe his first for the book. Yeah. It's a yeah. new so release. So, yeah. yeah. So he's... He's got he's, practice. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe someone, if you know him, just, you know, let him listen to this episode. <laughs> That's the advice that Dan Savage always gives on the Savage Lovecast. Play this episode for the person that oh. you just asked this question about. Yeah. So, <laughs> who knows? Upcoming jaunts were in Mystic to go to Bank Square Books to see Angie Thomas, the author of The Hate You Give. Yes. And I am so, so excited. looking forward to that. Yes. So we will talk about it. Maybe you'll, you'll probably see some pictures on yeah. social media, but we'll talk about it in the next in episode. Next episode, totally, yeah. And we're going to see... Oh, this is so exciting. This is so exciting. Yes. God, we're such nerds. <laughs> April 23rd at Wesleyan RJ Julia, Jumpa Lahiri. I know, I'm fly. just like, wow. When I saw that, I was just like, oh, dear God, it doesn't matter what's going on that day, I'm going to be at that event. I just... Like I said to you, Emily, I just want to be in the same room with her. Yeah, like I she feel the same way. is a rock star. I want to hear her speak. Yes, yeah. And she's going to be in conversation with Domenico Starnon, mm-hmm. and it's going to be moderated by Michael Reynolds, who's the editor in chief of Europa Editions, which is really fucking exciting yeah. in and of itself because yeah. I love Europa. But what I'm confused about is it says trip. Is the book, and I think that's oh. Domenico's yes, book, right? Yeah. Okay, Domenico, I think, is an Italian writer. Oh, right, because right? did she she translated it? Maybe uh, Jumpo Lahiri, yeah, okay, yeah, because so. she's the, she recently wrote a book in Italian yes. about her love of all things Italian yes. and learning the language, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. 
I love her, loved her book, The Namesake. I did too. Yeah. I've yeah. loved everything that she's written. Yeah. But The Namesake, and that was a good movie. It the was adaptation was really excellent as yeah. well. But yes, I loved The Namesake. It was a beautiful book yeah. about the immigrant experience and being a kid with parents who are from a different country and just right. so many layers in that book. It was beautiful. We're going to have to hold it together when we go to the We are. Event. I'm going to be one of those. I'm just going to be like, uh, I'll probably just stare at her and somebody will probably have to push me to get me out of the way because I'm sure I'll be. I actually have one of her books too I can bring for signing if she does. I don't know if she'll be doing signing. Yeah. But we'll just have well, to elbow If she shakes my hand, I won't be washing my hand anytime soon. <laughs> Good to know. Maybe you should use your left hand just in case. <laughs> upcoming reads you know what i have um the the upcoming read i'm going to be doing is the willa cather's my oh what am i doing <laughs> i'm going to be reading willa cather's the song of the lark chris just stumbled on a willa cather title i don't i feel like i should check her polls i'm so used to saying my antonia my antonia my antonia because like it's all you know <laughs> I feel like it, there's been so much about the book, and I've been I've been sending it to some friends, and they've been reading it. So yeah. Anyway, the Song of the Lark. We'll be discussing that at the book club bookstore on the nineteenth right. at two p.m. If anybody would like to join us, so I'll be rereading that again. And I think out of all of Cather's novels, it's the one I probably read the most. Okay. I probably read it like close to a dozen times. Wow. Because I wrote papers about it, and excellent. Yeah. So anyway, that is an upcoming read. And I have Young Jane Young, a novel by Gabrielle Zevin, hmm. and then Standard Deviation uh, by Catherine Haney, and that's supposed to be funny, and I'm really in the mood for a funny book. Yeah. I'm not sure if Young Jane Young, Young is funny, so I'm going to do a little research and decide which to, which to read first Very based cool. on that, because I need something to make me laugh. Yeah. So. Yeah. Emily needs a good one. Yeah. What about the one that Anne gave, the, the Shakespeare one? Oh, that's um, an idea. Yeah. Yeah. God forbid I should read a book that's like sitting on my shelf at home. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I need to look at those because I do want to yeah. read them. Yeah. Michael Definitely. Andace, yeah. yeah. Well, I looked at the Michael Andace and I thought that was too heavy for me right now. Right now, yeah. But the other one is supposed to be funny. That's a good idea. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. All right, everybody, we are out of here because the library is closing. Yeah, we just got the uh, high sign. Yeah. Turn off the lights and get going. Get out of here, girls. <laughs> <laughs> and now part two of episode 46 is our interview with Michael Finkel, author of The Stranger in the Woods, The Extraordinary Story of the Last True Hermit. We are here with a very special guest. Would you like to introduce yourself? You can call me Mike, Mike Finkel, and uh, I think this is like my my life can be considered complete now that I'm uh, <laughs> here with the book Cougars. <laughs> well, we're glad you think so. We're actually um, still at the Unlikely Bookstore where we recorded with Ann Kingman earlier, and Mike has an event tonight for his book, The Stranger, A Stranger in the Woods. And then it has a long thing after that. Do you want to say it? Because I'm terrible. The Stranger in the Woods, the extraordinary story of the last true hermit. Right. Yes. There you go. Hermit. And you're on your paperback tour now. I know. Right? 
is there any other version that we can do? Is there like a pocketbook tour? Can you do like the Kindle <laughs> tour? Well, the audio is already out too, so I don't think they'll. And maybe you can do the the. I don't know the audio. The French translation That voice is Anne Kingman. For those of you who are Hi. wondering, she's back. She brought coffee and water, which is lovely. Sort of fancy. Yeah. Um, well, the uh, Chris said the audiobook was really great, and it's mm-hmm. read by someone with a little bit of a gravelly voice. Gave it a little yeah. character, a masculine right. voice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I I listened to it a little bit and I thought he did a great job. Yeah, but, you I know, he did the daring, you know, main accent, which I, I'm a bad mimic. I don't yeah. know if you can do. I cannot I mimic anybody's no. accent. I can't even yeah. do British accent. I just, <laughs> I'm accentless. Let, I, let I other people do, do that. No, no. So, yeah. would you like to give just a really brief synopsis of what the book's about? We talked about it on a prior episode, but we yeah. also mentioned that we were going to be in conversation with you. So, this, yeah, the Stranger in the Woods is about a man named Christopher Knight who left the world at age 20. He went into the woods of Maine and slept outside all alone. He spoke a total of one syllable and he was gone for 27 years from the age of 20 to 47, which is basically the heart of your life, uh, and became a sort of mysterious figure in order to provide himself with food and clothing and this was sort of the essential thing, reading material. Mm-hmm. Which I loved, that part of the book. Yeah, I think is critical. He <laughs> broke into second homes uh, around these lakes in central Maine. Never uh, kicked in a door, never shattered a window. In fact, uh, tried his very hardest never even to be seen. And uh, But yet, of course, stole people's peace of mind and their mm-hmm. sense of security and became this mythical person and was eventually caught after a game warden became obsessed with seeing what this mystery was about mm-hmm. and uh, was brought out of the woods at the age of 47. And sort of this like catnip to journalists. It's got this mystery. It's got solitude. It's got survival. It's, you know, asked these profound questions about, you know, why would someone um, go off by themselves like this? What did he learn? And what happens when someone who spent 27 years all by themselves suddenly is thrust back into our very, very, very fast-paced semi-crazy society. Yes. Yeah, How could yeah. you not be interested? Yes. Oh, you can't. And I, I had the thought when I was reading it, I don't, I'm not really a fan of true, con- true crime, but I was like, well, this is like true crime and I'm really enjoying it. It made me think a lot of um, like uh, John Krakauer's Into the, Wo- Into the Wild. Um, you know, just, just following that story of a person who does something so extreme and kind of why did they do it and how did they survive Right, and of course I read Into the Wild, and there's another Chris there, Chris McCandless. Right. Now, Chris McCandless, as you may recall, uh, he escaped into the woods into, uh, in Alaska and died after four months. Only right. lived four months by himself. Right. And uh, Christopher Knight, the character in, in The Stranger in the Woods, came out of the woods after 27 years, strong as an ox. Yeah. And uh, I think the key thing to know about Chris Knight, the hermit, is that he's highly highly intelligent, whatever you might feel about him, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, and people whose houses were broken into have a variety of opinions about him, which I also found fascinating, from utter respect to complete disdain, mm-hmm. and I also found that to be a very interesting part of the story, people's reactions to this hermit. Yeah. I agree, and yeah. I, I thought it was interesting how some people were, you know, like, hanging bags of food out on their, on their doorknob in hopes of helping to feed him. And then other people just felt completely terrorized by him, as did their children, who I think they yeah. referred to him as 
Hungry Man or well, something? Well, that's one of the lines that they were calling him the Mountain Man, and he said that that was scaring the children, so they called him Hungry Man, which I, that would have scared me more. The <laughs> Hungry Man was out there. He's coming after me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought that part was really fascinating, and I also thought, um, and this might, I think we should be okay with a little bit of spoilers here as we talk about the book. But I also thought it was interesting that once he came out of the woods and was found, that some people um, really were in disbelief that he actually was living in the woods for 27 years. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot to touch on here, yes. So this story is literally unbelievable. Uh, I didn't even, you know, talk about the most, you know, 27 years without seeing a doctor, uh, 27 years. So this, to me, was really the point where I was like, I'm not sure if this story is true. Mm -hmm. He says that he spent 27 years in the woods of Maine, not Florida, <laughs> without once lighting a fire. And that is almost impossible to get your head around. But I also would like to say right here early in the podcast that this book is true. Mm -hmm. It's been thoroughly fact-checked. It's been uh, vetted up and down. And I spent uh, three years working on a book that's 190 pages long. It's not the fastest clip ever. <laughs> I mean, was, and when, you, when someone tells a story that's... Uh, hard to believe, if you find one small piece of evidence to overturn it, then the whole, whole thing falls apart, like a house of cards. And mm -hmm. I went to his site multiple times. If I had found like one charred piece of wood that showed that there was a fire there, if someone could show me one of their video recordings, uh, you know, after many break-ins, people put in security cameras showing me, showing him sleeping in a bed or taking a shower. There was never, there was never anything that Chris Knight said uh, that was refuted. In fact, he had no, he had no incentive to lie. He, had, in fact, this is something we can talk about. He didn't really want to tell a story at all. He didn't, right. ideally, if he had had his life's choice, no one would ever know his story. And I found that to be also a fascinating thing. Yes. Uh, I actually had people come up to me and said, wouldn't this story have been better if you'd never written it? And my answer is, <laughs> my answer is yes. <laughs> a little easier, too. The way you tell the story, the way it felt to me, is you did kind of insert yourself into his life. I mean, you started to communicate with him, but he took the bait, somewhat reluctantly, but he did. Right? Yeah, well, I am a journalist, um, and I believe that the way Chris Knight and I started our relationship uh, was about as, um, about as unintrusive as possible, which is that I wrote him a letter. Now, uh, by hand, pen, paper, envelope, stamps. And when you write someone a letter, you know, first of all, it's very easy to throw it out. And if you were going to respond, that's not a, that's not a simple task. It's not like you know, you know, hitting a, sending a text back or a quick email reply. You have to sit down and write a letter back. And he wrote a letter back to me by hand. And in, the first, in my first letter, I said I was a journalist. Not only did I say I was a journalist, I sent him photocopies of some of my articles and even mailed him my previous book. And uh, I thought that was, you know, uh, he responded to me and we started with an epistolary relationship, a very old fashioned way. We exchanged letters back and forth. And I knew from his very first letter that this was uh, uh, the thing that I had worried about uh, when I first just knew the basics of the story was that he was just going to be completely crazy. Like this is a person who just went off in the woods and was a crazy person. And it was clear from basically the first line of his first letter that he was he used the language beautifully, and as a writer and journalist, if you use language in a beautiful way, you're going to touch my heart. And, uh, <laughs> and it was funny. It was, like, sarcastic. And uh, I feel like I'm going to talk about some of this tonight. I don't want to give it away, but I understand. Uh, yeah, he was funny in his first letter and, um, and, and clearly was had a lot of things, a crazy story to tell. And mm -hmm. he, 
yeah, maybe I, I think you mentioned a few minutes ago, did I hook him? But he baited me as well. And mm-hmm. it was like, you know, very first letter was sort of, you know, I'll give you a couple of uh, hints of what happened to me and then I will conclude my letter. And it was like inviting me to write back. Mm-hmm. Nice. That's lovely. Yeah. One of the things I loved about the book is he seems like he's very funny. If you like, I like a bone dry sense of humor. Yeah, I come yeah. from a family where uh, if there's an exclamation point at the end, that's not a joke. It's like the, uh, the dry, <laughs> the dry humor. I just, you know, uh, remember like my father, you know, first time I think I introduced him to one of my bosses and she's like, uh, I just got, just got home from Europe with three kids and my dad's a sister. How many did you leave with? <laughs> yeah, that's familiar. And, and, she just, and she just sort of looked at him, like, because he said it with a straight face, no smile, like, huh? And I, and I was like, yeah, that's the, the, you know, it's like, some people don't like that sense of humor. Yeah. Right there. Well, well, he, growing up, he had experience with living, not necessarily living outdoors, but he knew hunting and fishing. But how he, to build things. But he didn't hunt and fish in the woods, which is a lot, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of people, um, you know, I know we're sort of jumping around here. Basically, yeah. I, as I mentioned, he supported himself uh, fully by stealing. Right, yeah. And he did grow up in central Maine and in his, you know, he left at age 20, so he didn't have a huge life before he quit the world, but mm-hmm. did know how to hunt and fish. And people do say to me, well, why didn't he uh, hunt and fish, and I, I have an answer. Chris Knight very frequently compared himself with wild animals, with animals, and he, when he compared himself that way, he meant it as a as a compliment. Basically, he stockpiled a lot of food right before winter came, as mm-hmm. animals do. And for example, I spent most of my life in Montana, and after the bears come out of hibernation, there's always a couple of weeks where my garbage cans are tipped over and my garbage cans have, have been rifled through by the bears. Well, why didn't those bears go and pick berries that week? The answer is efficiency, especially in a place mm. where it's cold, like Montana and like Maine. Chris Knight, although he really liked his hermitage, was often on the edge of starvation and uh, hypothermia. He needed to conserve as much energy as possible. And stealing things, would, if an animal had a good, posable hands and were able to pick a lock, I'm sure that animals would go into cupboards and mm-hmm. steal crackers before they would go and gather berries or nuts. It was just much more efficient. It takes a lot of energy to hunt and fish, especially in a cold climate. And uh, I, I think it's, it's, it's funny to say it's probably what an animal would do if, uh, if it could. It, mm-hmm. it was just yeah, le- less energy using, yeah. more efficient, more, you know, more. Chris Knight himself was never morally... He never permitted. He he always felt a little bit guilty about stealing. He came mm-hmm. from a morally rigid family in which it was clear mm-hmm. that thou shalt not steal, and um, and he did then for twenty seven years. Twenty seven years, yeah. So uh, I think what the book sort of asks, and the story of Chris Knight asks on a little deeper level, is what do you do? What do we do with a person who really doesn't fit into the world very well? Now, if you are truly a violent and dangerous and evil criminal. Chris Knight never even carried a weapon. If you're truly that, we have prisons for you. And if you're truly crazy, and Chris Knight not only was demonstrably highly intelligent, but couldn't even be diagnosed with anything. If you're truly crazy, we have mental hospitals and doctors for you. But what if you just don't fit into the rest of society? And I don't know if I'm anything like you. Half half my day, I, I look around what we're doing what modern society is like, and I am a, a little bit aghast. Mm-hmm. And what if you don't fit in? We don't have a spot for you. Mm-hmm. Like, wh- what do you do? And Chris Knight had this deep desire to just be alone and permitted himself with a decent dosage of guilt to steal 
uh, you know, he had a code of ethics, you mm-hmm. know, no breaking windows and no smashing in doors, but... Uh, and no scaring people. I mean, he didn't, he went to empty houses. Yeah, but, you know, also, I, I own a home, you know, he, it's not the hamburger meat or the cheddar cheese or even the Stephen King novel. It's like the peace of mind and the sense yeah. of security. And sure. I, I, whenever someone says to me, you know, I really can't stand what Chris Knight did, I feel that he is... Uh, a menace to society, I, I say, you're right. Mm-hmm. And when some people say to me, you know, I find him to be a little bit of a heroic character and someone I, I almost wish that I was daring enough to live my life, uh, you know, my dreams as, uh, as, as much as he did, and I also say, you're right. right yeah. Sometimes your reaction to Chris Nice is more about who you are than mm-hmm. who he is, and I find that to be very interesting. Yeah, because yeah. as I was listening, I listened to the audio version, I kept thinking to myself, like, I shouldn't like this guy is the feeling I was having. I'm thinking, like, he's breaking into these people's homes and the peace of mind. But there is something to admire about that that discipline and that tenacity. I kind of like that reaction. I sort of... I don't really know how the reader's supposed to feel, but I think there is this sort of little tension in, in the book. Like, I don't know if I'm supposed to like this person. And as I mentioned earlier, I don't even know if I'm supposed to be reading this story. <laughs> like, like yeah. it's sort of, there is that weird, like, I, I don't know. You have to decide whether the book's any good, but a book that pleases me so is a conversation with readers. It's not this announcement that you read coldly. Like, right. you sort of, you're supposed to have some feelings, and perhaps some of the feelings are a little bit of un- discomfort. Absolutely. And I don't think that's necessarily... Uh, a bad thing. It's uh, a little challenging. It's you know, it's not exactly not 100% of back massage kind of book. It's like right. you're gonna yeah. be like, huh? Sure. This, I don't, yeah. I, yeah. Now I feel like I'm liking this thief, and I don't. Yeah. But you know, as you said before, there were some people in Maine put bags of food out on their front steps, and other people hid in the dark with a loaded gun. Right. Yeah. Like, and neither of those reactions seemed crazy. Yeah, I don't know which way I would be. I, I was know. thinking like, what? Yeah, you the people are somewhere yeah. in between there. Yeah. But, but all of those reactions. Even stealing like you know books and jeans and, and spam. Yeah. You know, I kind of feel like go for it, buddy. You know, but I, I think that to me that I mean I'm a very logical thinker, so I also think okay, he was doing this for 27 years. I don't think there was anything to really be afraid of. He obviously wasn't out to get people. You know, but. Maybe but you never know. But I also don't live there. It was <laughs> sort of funny, you know, when I, I spent uh, many visits to Maine, sort of wandering from family to family in, in the, uh, North Pond, which is the pond he lived on, and uh, it almost reminded me of, like, political fights. Uh, I would go to a family, and sometimes it would be a husband and wife, and uh, maybe the wife would be like, he was the worst thing that ever happened to me, and I was, uh, you know, I, was, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't find peace of mind, and this, and I, the husband would nod, and sometimes, this is, this is exactly what happened one time, and he, I remember one time he said, come with me, and we sat, we sat outside, and Cork DeBerry said, Feel completely opposite. <laughs> <laughs> I knew after the second time he broke in, and he, you know, my computer was there, and my wife's jewelry was there, and a, a pile of cash was there. You know, it's like uh, that. This was this was harmless, and mm-hmm. frankly, if I'd caught him in the act, I would have let him go. Right. Yeah, you know, exactly. one of the other person said, you know, he once stole their their backpack, and they freaked out because their passports were in the backpack. And they opened the cupboard, and he had taken the passports out and put them in the cupboard. He had, he, had, mm-hmm. he it, yeah. so it's a sort of a. I find it very fascinating that it can. You know, I tried to, I, I speak warmly of Chris often, but I tried to, I tried to have a little more neutral tone in, in the book and let the reader, mm-hmm. him or herself, see how they feel. And I, as I said before, there's no wrong reaction, but it does involve some reader, uh, I don't know, some your, your reader emotion is, is, is put yeah. into it. It was, it was thought-provoking, and I really appreciated the part of the book where you started to explore the idea of 
permits and what it means and, and how, you know, the different variety, I'm using air quotes when I say that. Um, and, and I thought that was really fascinating. And Chris and I were talking about this on our drive up today that, you know, I spend a lot of time alone and I like to be alone. I mean, I do not live in the woods. I'm not a hermit. Well, I actually do live in the woods. I just have a house. But, you know, some people think it's really strange. And there will be days that pass where I haven't spoken to anybody. And I don't find that strange at all. But I'm very comfortable with my own company. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I- that doesn't mean that I don't like to also have the company of others. I mean, he obviously was extraordinary. Yeah, it was an outlier case. Right. Mm-hmm. I think a, a small, like, un shouted sub-theme of the book is sort of this weird celebration of reading. Uh, Chris Knight himself loved and loved to read, stole thousands and thousands of books. And anybody who likes to read, by definition, likes to spend time by themselves. It, it sort, of, uh, sort of goes part and parcel. It's like, uh, I often think of this book as something that should be read on paper rather than on a Kindle, although if you want to do it that way, but it feels like, it kind of feels a little old-fashioned-y. Right. Chris Knight himself never stole a Kindle. He liked to read on paper. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He liked to use Grisham novels in different ways, though. Yes. <laughs> he is a little bit of a literary critic. Um, <laughs> You know, in his very his very first uh, like in the very first paragraph of his very first letter to me, I had uh, mentioned in my first letter that one of the writers that I liked uh, is Ernest Hemingway, and he he said that he felt quite lukewarm about Hemingway. <laughs> to use his exact quote. <laughs> so you know, the guy who says nothing for twenty seven years decides one of the first things he's going to do is engage in literary criticism. I love that. Well, I was struck too by. All of the reading that he did, books, magazines, listening to the radio, watching TV, then listening to TV, and just how much culture he consumed. And then to have that time to sit and reflect on what he's read or listened to, it was almost like a luxury. Mm-hmm. I was envious. Yeah. That's how I felt. There are degrees of envy, of course, then, when it gets chilly. Yeah. yeah. I wasn't envious of that part. <laughs> yeah. I, don't, yeah, I don't know if you, got, if you were uh, campers at all, but I am quite an avid Outdoorsman, nothing, nothing like Chris uh, Knight, but it gets extremely cold, and to be cold is to be very uncomfortable. Yeah. We're a warm-blooded creature. I've done some backpacking and, and camping trips in my day, um, but nothing this extreme. And but it was fascinating to learn how he dealt with the winter temperatures by the hours that he slept from what seven thirty to two. Did he get up or something like mm-hmm. that? And, and that was fascinating. Right. So our, you know, after our epistolary relationship. We exchanged letters over the course of a, a summer, and then um, I visited Chris Knight in the Kennebec County Jail in Central Maine, where he was being held on these charges of breaking in, and nobody really knew what kind of uh, what kind of punishment he should be given, which we could discuss. But a lot of the things we talked about was philosophical, and then there was like just the nuts and bolts to me as a mm-hmm. camper. It's like, well, how did you you know how did you get water when it was below freezing, and how, how did you stay warm, and mm-hmm. you know what did you how did you deal with wild animals? And it's like, I, I really, I really, uh, I wasn't really trying to catch him in a, any, any sort of um, contradiction. It was more like, kind of as a fellow camper, I was right. like, this is like the, this is like the Michael Jordan of campers. Right. I'm going to like, gonna like <laughs> get some, we need to write a guide. I'm going to get some, get Chris Knight's guide to camping. <laughs> and it was like, it's a very good idea. It's my, uh, you can send the royalties too. No, <laughs> now, do you know if he read has he read the book, do you know? So I sent Chris Knight um, a copy of the book even well before it was uh, published, and I heard back nothing. Mm-hmm. Not a surprise. I had written a uh, 
magazine article for GQ about Chris Knight before the book came out. And I actually was able to meet with Chris uh, after the article came out. And he did read that. He told me, and he said in his typical style, well, there were parts that he didn't like and parts he liked. But he said that he respected what I had written. And it's my great hope, I know I don't know for sure, that he, that, that he respects what I wrote in the book. I didn't write it for him. I, read it, I wrote it to be as accurate and to do as possible and to capture the whole story, but I don't know. I feel like if he really disliked it, he would have let me know. Yeah. And that sort yeah. of silence is uh, consent. Um, <laughs> Seems like a good idea to go with that. I don't know for sure. Yeah. I, you know, of yeah. course, uh, the, w- the way we left the relationship, Chris Knight uh, was never my friend. There was none of that phony journalist uh, subject um, faux friendship that sometimes develops. He told me what he wanted to tell me, and I'm sure there were things he didn't tell me. And mm. if you can remain silent for 27 years, it's going to be difficult <laughs> to convince you to talk right, further. Yeah. Exactly. And I was like, okay, if you don't want to say it, we'll continue on. Um, and um, I'm, I'm, he's such a reader. I'm, I'm, sure, I'm, I'm sure he read the book mm. and... Uh, yeah, so the way we left the relationship was like, you know, he, he said, I'm done talking to you and please, please leave me alone. And I, I, one of the last things I ever said to him was like, Chris, if you, if you want to get in touch with me, would you write me a letter? And he said, sure. And I would welcome a letter from him any day, but I haven't received one. That's what I was going to ask. So there's been no communication at all since that last time you saw him. And at when all. you go to Maine, do you try to reach out? Not at all. Okay. I would love to. And there's like a sort of a, like a pull to do so. But mm-hmm. I felt like a deal is a deal. And um, there are no, you know, Chris Knight is such an outlier. I mean, I've met, I've been a journalist for three decades practically and uh, traveled the world, and I've never met anyone remotely like Chris Knight. He's such an outlier in so many ways, and he knows how to get in touch with me. And I, I you know, he, I'll forever be grateful t- to Chris Knight. He pretty much gave me the most valuable thing he has in the world which is his story and, and really asked for nothing in return no mm-hmm. money anything except for me to leave him alone how could I not uh, right. grant him that right so I'm, I was part of the page turner for me was definitely wondering what was going to happen once he was in our um, you know the, the system as they say when he was arrested and put into jail and the judge that gets the case and has to sentence him says he's an outlier in their system as well. They mm. don't really know how to handle what what he did and you know how to sentence him. What did you think? You know, what's, can we get your personal perspective about how he was treated and and how he was sentenced? So, in the state of Maine, as in many states, uh, if you break into someone's home uninvited and even if you don't take anything, you can get ten years in the state penitentiary. Ten years in prison for one break-in, and Chris Knight admitted to a thousand break-ins. We can <laughs> so all do a little math, right? Yeah. <laughs> so carry the one. No. Um, so uh, that is not a small sentence. And there were people in Maine who thought that life imprisonment was an appropriate punishment for him, and there were many people who thought immediate, immediate freedom. In fact, there were people that offered plots of land for him to live on. Mm-hmm. And again, as with people's reactions, gun or bag right. of, bag of right. things, you know, life imprisonment or immediate freedom, you know, and, and I, that, that whole, like, extremes uh, interested me. Uh, Chris Knight was given seven months in the state, uh, in the county jail, mm-hmm. uh, with a, quite a strict probation, that if he broke his probation, um, he could go to prison for seven years. And his probationary period actually just ended, and he observed it to the letter. There was no problem. In fact, he was being drug tested weekly, which, as he told me, was absurd. He had never done any drugs in his life. He had had a little alcohol, but Mm -hmm. such as, you know, 
an outlier of trying to be put into a system is, is, is always going to have some difficulties. And uh, so he, I believe, is a free member of society now. I haven't kept tabs, but mm-hmm. to the best of my knowledge, this has not been 100% confirmed. He's still living in central Maine. He is no longer living at his family home and has not returned to the woods, but I don't know what will happen. And again, this is nonfiction. Not fiction. If you need everything to be tied up in a beautiful bow, then perhaps you know turn to some fiction. Um, it's uh, there are there are. I think when you deal with someone like Chris Knight, there's going to be some mysteries. And personally, I kind of like it when things are left mysterious. And you know, it's again as I was saying, there's some like reader challenges, maybe even discomfort. And I think you might end with like, oh man, I wish I knew a little more. And I, that sort of longing is part of the point also, mm-hmm. I think. Like yeah. this is a, as one of my friends, because I, I, I have, you know, I'm sure like any writer is like, you like, you have a couple friends you like to moan to, mm-hmm. bitch to, like, oh, it's not going well at all. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you won't tell me anything. And one of my friends, uh, my friend Adam, in fact, I remember we were sitting at the bar and he said, Mike, if he just started telling you everything and babbled everything, he wouldn't be the hermit. <laughs> it would be completely, it would be completely terrible. It would be like, what if he's this? I was like, oh, you're right. It's like the fact that he's holding things back and there are things mysterious that is endemic to his nature. It has yeah. to be that way. In fact, if he told everything, it would, this, the book would fall apart because then he wouldn't really be a hermit. Yeah. And, well, and the holding with his family, too, that here he was 20 years old and he disappears and the family never reports it. You know, I, I was fascinated by that. As a mom, I was like, really? <laughs> like, you just didn't think to call the police and say, uh, my son's missing. I mean, he was an adult. He was 20, right? But, yeah. The family, right. Again, as I was just saying, there are going to be some things that are mysterious. This is nonfiction. I think if it was fiction, I would, the family would be a little more explicable. I have three children myself. If one of my kids is missing overnight, I'm having helicopters you know, <laughs> looking for it. Um, so the family never filed a missing persons report. Chris Knight was gone for 27 years. Uh, nobody in the family spoke to me. I asked everyone if they would, and they all said, absolutely not. A very private family Part of one's desire for um, solitude is inherited, and Chris obviously inherited the sure. most extreme amount. And then also he himself, you know, it was like he was also he was set up to be an outlier. Um, I talked to the local police officer in the small central Maine town where Chris grew up, and I said, "God, don't you find it just really bizarre that the family never like filed a missing person report?" And the police officer said to me, "No, nope, I don't find that strange at all." Hmm. This is the police officer himself. I said, "Why not?" Hmm. So they're very. Central Maine, keep-to-themselves family, don't like to air their dirty laundry. Mm. Now, this is unconfirmed, and I didn't put anything in the book that I couldn't confirm, but I heard from some sources, I just couldn't confirm it, that the family hired a private detective to look into it, and that there was some level of searching, but I don't know. As you mentioned, I asked Chris Knight himself, the only member of the family that would talk to me, Chris Knight, why didn't your family look for you? And he said, I was 20 years old, which was considered an adult in his family and this his disappearance where he had taken his car it, there wasn't any it, it didn't seem like a crime it seemed like a voluntary act on his part and maybe he thought his family just realized that this was something he did but mm. why what was going on in the family and I, I won't know and it's one of the it is it, it remains it is, a little bit know, mysterious he just had he, his brother co-sign the, the car loan I know and I know like, he, he felt actually 27 years so yeah he had, Chris came from a family of extremely modest means but highly highly intelligent you know I, I never saw the inside of their house but many friends described it as like a library filled with books all the kids uh, all the teachers I spoke to said all the night children uh, were high, uh, got great grades and they 
it was like this sort of family that doesn't really exist anymore. Chris, could, they learned to fix everything electrical, automotive, plumbing. You know, they could they could build, they could create things. And uh, so this is also great for Chris Knight's uh, ability to solve very difficult problems in, mm. in the woods at a young age. Imagine never getting advice from an elder again after age 20. Oh. I'm 49. I call my dad all the time and ask him how to do something. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's another like small mind-boggling mm-hmm. thing. But yes, he came from a, an unusual central Maine family. But it's interesting as you're saying that, I have children who are in their um, mid-20s, and when they call me now, it is more about... Mom, I'm reading my the lease I have to sign. You know, it's more like practical things, whereas he had to do practical, real-life, you know, survivalist <laughs> things, yeah. right? But maybe he learned more by trial and error, although that could lead to a swift death in his It, it can, and so. it didn't. But as I mentioned before, like, I think if, you, if the one thing that Chris Knight was blessed with maybe was the difference between Chris McCandless, who died after just four months right. and 27 years. I mean, that's... Yeah. If you're going to go 27 years, that's not an accident. After right. a certain while, he yeah, right. had an incredible mind. And again, I sat across from him, interviewing him in jail, and it was daunting how bright he was. It was like there were even small things. Like if he seemed to remember every book he had ever read, mm-hmm. and you know sometimes, oh yeah, I remember reading that book. And then he would be he would drill down into deep specifics, and I was like. Yeah. You know, I don't remember, and he would give me sort of a disappointed look. And I remember saying to him, I think you have a photographic memory, Chris. He's like, no, I don't have a photographic memory. I just, I just remember everything. Um, and then all these studies have been done, to, not to bring into the realm of science, that really spending time outside uh, is perfect for learning. And, you know, it's calming. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's what all our senses are, have been calibrated right. to. Living in a less distracted world. Right. Yeah, I really admired that about the book. I mean, I thought that it was, you know, his statement when he says, why is it considered normal to, you know, go to work and sit in a cubicle every day and not to be out in nature and in the woods? Right. You know, spending this time, all that time thinking about Chris and working on it, I was like, I don't recommend that we spend 27 years all by ourselves, but I really feel that, uh, and I think anybody who spends any amount of the day with their eyes open or listening to the radio could be concerned about what's happening in the world today. Modern culture seems like we, we're, I feel like we're tearing each other apart. I feel like society is crazy mm-hmm. and um, we just don't ever stop and do nothing. Like just observe, like I see people like have 30 seconds of free time, 30 seconds, what do they do? Fish out their phone and yep. communicate. Yeah. Like, I, I, yeah. Don't, you know, my only advice and the thing I learned is just like, if we all just took a couple of minutes a day to sort of do nothing, nothing. What a, what, a, what a request. I'm not asking you to meditate or do 50 push-ups. I'm like, nothing. Just do nothing for a couple minutes every day. Yeah. Nothing. It's harder than you think. Yeah. Five minutes, let's start with five minutes a day of doing nothing, just mm-hmm. sitting there doing nothing. I think, it would, uh, I think it would decrease the temperature of society in a central half degree. It's just my thought. Let's yeah. all try it. Yeah. It's the nothing project. <laughs> Which is a great way to end. Because I yes. think that um, yes. Mike is here at the bookstore to do an event, and we're creeping up on his start time. Here. So I have no time to do nothing. But well. exactly. <laughs> we'll give you 30 seconds. How's that? <laughs> Better than nothing. <laughs> well, thanks, Mike. My yeah. pleasure. Yeah. Thank, yeah. You. Yeah, appreciate Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Cougars. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to The Book Cougars with Chris Wallach and Emily Fine. To keep the bookish conversation going online, join our Goodreads group or connect with us on social media. If you'd like to contribute to our hunt for a good read, you can donate on Patreon. And if you have a minute to review us on whatever app you use to listen to us, we appreciate it. It can help other listeners find us. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) 